so good to be able to worship alongside you tonight. My name is Lindsay Jacoby. I get to serve on staff here at Kairos. We want to be the kind of people that anchor ourselves in the word of God. And so we are going to do that now, reading together as an act of worship. So we have been making the trek through 2 Timothy in our series called Follow Me as I Follow Jesus. So we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. Feel free to follow along in your copy of God's word. It'll also be up on the screen behind me. But before we do that, let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you give us fresh eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? Together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jacoby. Well, good evening. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Guys, it's fall outside. This is my, one of my favorite seasons of the year. Leaves are changing. Weather's crisp. You can break out all your baggy clothes and eat whatever you want. Maybe that's just my deal. Maybe it's not for you. But I'm glad you're here tonight. Um, you need to know that every seat and every doorway uh, has been prayed over. Um, you need to know that we're the kind of place that we want to equip you to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. And we want to, when we gather together, we want to preach the word clearly and then give your soul some space to respond, to hear the voice of your Father. And we want to make sure that when that happens, you have the opportunity to step in to the life God intended you to live. Because we believe, right, we can be word-fed and spirit-led. We believe that we can be disciple-makers who are culture-shapers. We believe that every breath that we're breathing is a gift from God, and we believe that we can increase our cardiovascular endurance with the assurance that comes from the Word of God. But a lot of us seem to be out of breath, don't we? Even though we just read all Scripture, is useful, it's God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Why is it that most of us this year constantly just feel like we're on our knees just trying to catch our breath? We have a good God who's given us his good word and who's created good works for us to do, but we're out of breath, out of shape, and out of sorts. And it's almost as if we realize that the altitude and the attitude of our culture is becoming increasingly thin and hostile to the gospel message. And the best definition of success that we have for some of us is to hold our breath until we get through our day, denying ourselves the air and the abundance of the life Jesus intended us to live. Why is this happening? I think we intuitively know it, right? We're driven by distraction and everything else that's competing for our attention, and we're depriving ourselves of the oxygen-rich environment of the scriptures. We're strangled by the boot of injustice and oppression here in our nation and around the world. And what we feel spiritually is the same thing as Eric Garner felt physically. I can't breathe. And a lot of us are suffocated by worry. So then we turn to hurry and realizing that by the end of the day, we are running out of breath. That's why men and women, all scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has for you. Tonight, maybe if this scripture is actually God-breathed, I want mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for your lives. I want the breath of the living God restoring your imagination and courage that you have a person and a passion in this life that he has created in advance for you to do. It's my solemn prayer that tonight you would fall in love with and fully follow the Jesus revealed to us in scripture. Why? Because all scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, here's the prophetic image that the Lord's kind of given me that I'll submit to you for interpretation. It's Hulk Hogan. You're welcome. 1980s, I grew up watching wrestling, like Piper's Pit, Jimmy Superfly, Snooka, but Hulk Hogan was the centerpiece. He's like the captain of America of tweens back in the day. If he won, the world would be fine. And Hulk Hogan was always in a wrestling match, and there was a time that would come in every wrestling match when somebody like Hacksaw Jim Duncan, ho, or the Iron Sheik would get him in a sleeper hold and try to cut off his oxygen. And the referee would come in, and all he needed was three count to tap him out. And Hulk Hogan would be there, you think he's going out, and the referee comes by, picks his hand up, and falls down. You're like, oh, come on, Hulk, let's go, man. My salary's going to be ruined if you don't win. Second one, oh, my gosh, I think he's dead. This, this, there's a script and he's not following it, okay? Because this is real. Third one goes up and as soon as it catches right here, his hand just starts shaking. And he starts bringing it back up. And Hulkamania starts running wild and he gets it up and he starts shaking his hand and he turns around and he goes, oh, boom, oh, right? Goes off the rope, boom, like that. Drops a leg because legs really hurt. And then turns around and pins whoever. And then you got Hulkamania running wild, right? I want you guys, tomorrow morning when you wake up in the word of God and you just feel asleep, you feel defeated, 
anxiety and depression and financial stress are robbing you of the abundant life, that God would breathe into your lungs and you would learn that you can entrust and endure and God will make sure that the gospel goes forward both in you and through you. This is what Paul's trying to tell timid Timothys and our tired Tabithas. He's within this small group in this small church and they're trying to figure out with Christianity being in its infancy, there's incredible amounts of persecution and there's this oldie moldy theology at the time like, hey, if you suffer or like your disciple makers in jail, then this must not be real. And Paul's reminding him, no, you've seen it up close and personal. You know how I've lived my life. Patience, endurance, and suffering. And you know what you learned at the foot of your mother and your grandmother, the sacred scriptures that will bring about wisdom and salvation. So you continue in what you have been convinced of. Don't just say, oh yeah, I learned those Bible lessons as a kid and now, whoo, my direction, my way, my rules. No, you continue in what you've been convinced of. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that abiding in him produces much fruit. And that you're part of the family of God. That comes with rights, but it also comes with responsibilities. To be about your father's work, to see heaven on, here on earth as it is in heaven. So he's grabbing with them and he's saying, hey guys, the breath of God is available for you in order to do the work of God. He's making sure, hey guys, don't forget your oxygen tanks. All scripture is God breathed and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, why is scripture so important for Timothy and his small group of discipleship? Is it important so that they can memorize a bunch of Bible facts about God and then go to the local pub and dominate Bible trivia night when you got a half-priced Red Bulls and vodkas? No. Is it so they can huddle up in their Christian ghetto and all they do is they read the word of God and we hide from the big bad world and we don't ever want our kids to be exposed to a single sin ever? No. Is it so they can hold their breath and pout and go, this life is not fair and this is not what I signed up for, Jesus? No. It's so God can breathe life into the church because there is every good work prepared for you. That whole clause hinges on that conjunction. Why is all scripture God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? So that you will be equipped for every good work. The God of the universe has a plan and purpose for your personality, your story, and your life. And I don't want you to miss out on it so that you would be equipped for every good work. Now, I'm not trying to make a dad joke here, but when it comes to scripture, it's all good. Oh my gosh, shut up, dad. I get it, but it is literally all good. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the theme and the through line of Scripture. The goodness of God revealed in Jesus Christ. But just so we're clear, this is how the story and the work started out. God spoke creation into existence. And each time he's going through each day in creation, he self-validates himself and says, Whew, that's good. Genesis chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25. It was good. 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 Good God makes good creation. And then he takes some dirt and some dust and he fashions a man out of it. And then he breathes into him the breath of life. 
takes woman from his side, and he's got two people that are created in his image. And guess what scripture says at that point? Good creation goes to exceedingly good, astonishingly good, very good. In the eyes of God, child of God, who bears the image of God, you were designed to be very good. And he takes them, takes his good creation and his good people, and he puts them in his good garden where there's good fruit, and he gives them good work to do. Did you guys know that work is actually good and part of your divine image? So stop spending your life trying to avoid it. He's got good work for him to do. What does he say? Be fruitful and multiply. By the way, that's discipleship language. That doesn't mean you can only do that if you have a spouse in a garden. Be fruitful, bear fruit. Make sure that your life lived is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And multiply. Make disciples that make disciples. Expand the center and circumference of God's kingdom and his family. Because you have good work that he has created in advance for you to do. How will you ever do this? All scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Here's my fear. We avoid the word because we want to avoid the work. I'm not trying to give a legalistic message where you just pay penance to God by how many verses of scripture you read. When you read the word of God, you find that you have work to do, and most of us are avoiding this word because we don't want to do our work. And the work that he's going to do first is in you before it's through you, and that's what we're really avoiding. Also, my fear is there's some of you who you've grown by leaps and bounds and you're starting to have an awakening, a spiritual awakening, that I have passion and purpose that God's put me on planet earth for. I have a unique kingdom contribution that is personified through my personality, my talents, my gifts, and my story. And I can't wait to see how God is gonna use me for every good work. My fear is, is that you're gonna burn out and flame out when it comes to doing that work because you're avoiding the word. You won't have the breath of God motivating and animating you. You'll say, thanks, I'll take it from here. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that you can be equipped for every good work. All right, so let me break this down. Really, really practical. Thanks, Chris. Great, inspiring sermon. So what? All right, I need to get in the word. So here's just two things I want you to remember. Actually, it's more like six, but just go with it. Read the word. I was talking to a buddy of mine, Davey, who I meet with regularly, and I, I creeped up on him a little bit early uh, when we were meeting at Cracker Barrel. And he's got his iPad out, and he's a designer, and he's like wicked smart. And he's got one of those goofy, I don't know if all designers do this, he's got one of these goofy little silk gloves so that he can actually write, and this hand doesn't mess up his little iPad thing. Um, and I'm like, Davey, are you, are you working? He goes, no, actually, I'm just spending some time in the word. I'm like, what do you mean? And he shows me he's been walking through Joshua. He said, I'm trying not to make it too complicated, but I'm just going to read a chapter of scripture a day and write down what jumps out at me. Can I see what jumped out at you? And here in like this perfect handwriting, the range is up, be strong and courageous. He's got a picture of Joshua right here. And I'm like, oh, sweet action. Now, not all of us are not artists, but there are ways that you can engage scripture that gets your body, your mind, and your imagination together. 
I did the same thing when I'm working through a text. I'll color, highlight, ask questions, rub it all around. Like, what is going on here, God? This is amazing. And sometimes, uh, Burgers, Bibles, and Bros, you guys know this. When we first started out trying to read the word, I, I would ask them to actually write out five verses. Plain and simple. Why do you have to write it out? I could, I could text that so much quicker. That's fine. I mean, do whatever. I, I, I'm not digital or analog debate here right now, okay? What I want you to do is make sure that you can read the word and connect with God. And sometimes I just encourage people, if you're just starting out, how about five by five by five? Five verses for five minutes, five days a week. Build up your cardiovascular endurance. Maybe bump it up to 10, maybe 15. Maybe, maybe one day you actually just get lost in it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm late. Just got consumed by God's word. But a lot of us are afraid. Well, I don't have a biblical degree. I'm not a pastor. The Bible's confusing at times. It doesn't make sense. Um, and you're scared sometimes. I think we, we, we've over-romanticized a daily quiet time. That if you don't get a life lesson out of it, then you weren't really paying attention. Sometimes you're just going to read about who God is, and you're like, oh, okay, great. Thanks, Papa. See you tomorrow. So I, I encourage you guys, three questions if you're just starting out. Just read a couple verses and then answer this question. What does this say about God? In our text, what do we find out? God says that all of scripture is God-breathed. Cool. Awesome. Two, what does this say about me? Uh-uh. I have good work to do. What's up? Tell my seventh grade teachers that. Three, last question. What do I need to do? That's just a simple way for you to start to read the word. By the way, this is just Jesus, right? Repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. This is repent, change the way that you think. Believe this is you acting differently. Hear and obey. It's incredibly simple. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. Now, here's where I have to warn you, okay? When you start reading the word, you're going to find out, oops, <laughs> that the word will read you. It's not simply about going in there for information about God. He's going to start to shine a light in some of the deepest, I don't even know what that is. Get rid of that. Read the word and let the word read you. This is our text, okay? So he says, all scripture is God breathed. Every time you hear that, I just want you to do that as a Pavlovian response. So it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Mm, 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 mm. Got squirrels all around here. Here's what I will give my life to, and I'm borrowing the language of my friend Dave Rhodes, that our churches are not just teaching centers, but they turn into training centers. That we don't just learn the words of Jesus, we want to live them out. And we want to train for righteousness, we want to practice, and we want to play, and we want to figure out who God has created us to be. The only way you get from teaching to training is correcting and rebuking. Rebuking, exposing my rebellion correcting, showing me the proper form or way that I should walk into. 
Oh, I'm so grateful for Psalm 25 that says, you know, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Bless the Lord who forgives them according to his steadfast love. He teaches sinners in the way that they should go. The humble he leads into his truth. The humble he shows his path. All the paths of the Lord are trustworthy and true that we can go from just learning to living, from just teaching to training. I think we got teaching down right. I don't think we're training because no one in our life has permission to rebuke and correct us through the word of God. So who are these people that you invite into your life? I've got a lot of them because I need them because I got a lot to correct and rebuke. But literally, I've got two trainers. I'll show you a picture. Here's Rick and here's Aaron. Rick on the right is my trainer for about a year and a half. I'm gonna let the band come up. Um, while I tell you guys about this. And then on the left is Aaron. He owns the gym, right? Those guys are way out of shape. I feel bad for them. But Rick, we've been working out for about a year and a half together. And when I get into something new, I'm a carnivorous learner. I want to learn about nutrition, stretching. I want to learn about proper form. I want to learn about this torture device you call a TRX. And why do two bands suspended for some reason turn into liquid fire in my muscles? That's incredible. I want to learn why I'm doing an exercise and going, oh, this is easy. And Rick comes and goes, no, turn this way. And all of a sudden, I can't do it. It just exposes every single weak muscle in my body. Now, here's the deal. I didn't get done six months and then just go, I'm good, Rick. I don't need you anymore. I know what I know, but I still have bad form at times. Why? I can't see myself exercise. So I pulled those guys aside, and I just said, hey, I'm getting ready to preach through this text. And it says training. You guys are trainers. What's the number one value you offer to clients? They both said paying attention. I pay attention to their form, their breathing, and what they have going on to make sure that they can get the maximum benefits without hurting themselves. Men and women, the reason we do discipleship and community in the word of God is so that you can pay attention. That you can pay attention to what God's saying and what he's doing in your life so that you can train so that you will be ready and able to recognize every good work. Amen.